Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hey, everyone. You're going to notice that my audio is a little less than perfect today. That's because I'm recording on the go. This was the best time for me to get it done, and done is better than perfect. Enjoy anyway. Well, hi, my friends. Thanks for joining me again today. We are going to jump right in with today's topic, the amygdala hijack. So raise your hand if you've ever read an email that really got to you, fired off an immediate response, and then later thought, hmm, perhaps I should have waited a day before responding to that one. How about, have you lost your cool in a meeting when someone said something accusatory toward you and later had a close colleague say, hey, I think maybe what that other person said wasn't accusatory and maybe wasn't even aimed at you. How about, well, definitely not you personally because all of us here are a lot more evolved than this, but have you ever witnessed or heard about a surgeon who threw an instrument because it was the wrong one or it was broken? Let's hope that last one doesn't happen often anymore, but I'm not kidding when I tell you, when I was a medical student way back in the day, I saw that happen many times. I even worked with one surgeon who threw things in the OR so regularly that they installed a plexiglass panel on the wall at the foot of the OR table, like a backboard, to keep the wall from being all dinged and bloody. Now, in this surgeon's case, he didn't throw things when he was angry. He just happened to use a lot of disposable devices, and this was his way of signifying that that one was done and it was time for a new one. He was actually quite beloved and highly respected. It's funny to think just how much times have changed. In today's world, the consequences for that kind of behavior would be swift and likely severe, but back then it was seen as sort of an amusing quirk. But anyway, the type of instrument throwing based on anger or frustration is what we're talking about. So these things are all examples of the amygdala hijack. This is a term I've heard used for years, but when I was prepping for the episode, I learned a little more nuance to it. I'd always thought of the amygdala hijack as just being a fancier term for when your fight or flight response kicks in. And while it is about having the fight or flight response triggered, it's specifically when it happens out of proportion to the trigger, and it's because of a perceived emotional threat. If you want to learn more about it, the author who coined the term is Daniel Goleman in a 1996 book called Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ. I haven't read that book myself, but it's referred to a lot as a key resource on this topic. And if you want a shorter version, Wikipedia actually has a pretty nice summary. Okay, but anyway, why are we talking about the amygdala hijack in a coaching podcast? Obviously, we all know that we should try not to let it happen. We all know it can get you in trouble at work if you let it happen too often. Some of those things can even buy you a trip to HR or, if it becomes habitual, loss of your job. And it's not so great for your interpersonal relationships either, especially if you're someone who's prone to having this happen often. We all know all of this. I'm bringing it up because looking at this through the coaching lens might be a little eye-opening for you, so to speak. Because, of course, the only reason an amygdala hijack ever happens is because of how someone is thinking. And that's excellent because we can change how we think if we want to. Since I'm not a neuroscientist, I'm definitely not going to pretend I have expertise in all of the things that might predispose someone to things like this. 
or that I know everything there is to know. But I can definitely tell you that from my experience, I've seen people who felt this was just part of their personality, built in and unchangeable, learn to make some impressive changes. To illustrate it better, we're gonna step away from the amygdala hijack for a second and just talk about fight or flight through the lens of coaching. So not an exaggerated out of proportion response to perceived emotional threat, just anything that scares or angers you enough that the amygdala takes you over and you temporarily lose control. Again, the only reason it ever happens is because of what you're thinking. If you're in the jungle and a very hungry tiger sneaks up behind you, but you don't see or hear it, there's no fear. I was originally going to say, if you're in the woods, a very hungry bear sneaks up behind you because I'm from the Midwest and that's what comes to mind. But then I remembered bears aren't really sneaky or silent. So tiger in the jungle it is. Anyway, you are objectively, unquestionably in grave physical danger, but you don't feel scared because you haven't had a thought about the threat because you aren't even aware of it. It's not the tiger itself. It's that instantaneous thought that scares you. It's going to eat me. It's going to kill me. It's going to maul me, whatever. The words don't even have to fully formulate in your head, but there is a thought and that's what you're scared of. Now, if you're arguing with me in your head right now and saying, that's a dumb example, of course you're not scared of a threat you don't know is there. And of course you will be terrified the millisecond you become aware. And it's not because of a thought, it's because of the giant physical threat. Let me give you another example to back up my argument. So I mentioned last week that I was on vacation. I can't remember whether I mentioned that we were in Florida. So not far from where we usually vacation is Mayaka River State Park. And that's a place where, among other things, you can pay money to get in a canoe and paddle around in a river that's very much infested with alligators. It's not one of the most highly infested water bodies in Florida, but it has a ton. You will very likely have a close encounter with an alligator if you do this. And people do this voluntarily. They pay money. Plenty of people in my own family have done this more than once, and they think it's a fun activity. I choose not to participate in this. Nope, no thanks. I would pay money not to do this activity. So there are some facts I think we can agree on, and these are based on real statistics and data. One, unprovoked alligator attacks are not common. Most alligator attacks happen when a human has made contact with or disturbed the alligator first. Two, if canoeing in a body of water with lots of alligators, there is a chance you might disturb one. And three, an alligator attack is guaranteed to be painful at minimum and possibly fatal. Those all sound pretty solid, right? Not a matter of opinion. So then why does the idea of canoeing with alligators sound like fun to some people and trigger a fight or flight for others? It's totally because of how and what we're thinking about it. I am, by nature, a risk-averse person. I also don't get adrenaline highs. I actually get the opposite. I get adrenaline crash. So naturally, the kinds of things that I would think when someone suggests going to canoe with alligators are things like, that sounds terrifying. Someone could get hurt or killed. Even if no one gets hurt, it will be scary during and exhausting afterward. Whereas the people I know who like this are probably thinking things like, this will be exciting. They wouldn't let us do it if it wasn't safe. So 
same theoretical scenario, different thoughts, different reactions. And I'll add one other slant to all of this, which is that your own experiences to date will heavily influence the way you think and feel about everything you encounter. If we're using the tiger example again, if you're an average everyday person who has always read and been taught that tigers can be lethal, if a tiger sneaks up behind you, you're going to be terrified because that is the information you have been given and synthesized in your brain so far. But remember back in the beginning of the pandemic when Tiger King came out on Netflix and I have to admit I watched it, there are a lot of crazy people out there, well, crazy in my opinion, who think that tigers are sweet and cuddly and have a whole lot less fear. So again, it's all your perspective that guides your thoughts that then decides what kind of reaction you're going to have. So let's bring it back to the amygdala hijack in the workplace. What if you're getting report from the last shift and during the presentation of a particular patient, the story is unfolding such that you're thinking, oh my God, they've done nothing or done the wrong things for this patient. I'm guessing that most or all of us have seen someone either blow up at sign out over something like this, or at least display some not too subtle behavior that's conveying that they're blowing up in their mind. Most of the time when this happens, it's an amygdala hijack. The patient is usually not in any immediate danger. In fact, they might be perfectly well. It might be something along the lines of a near miss where no event has reached the patient. We know the right thing to do is to not blow up. We know that if there's a learning opportunity related to a near miss or something like that, letting an amygdala hijack happen isn't going to be very good for creating a safe learning environment. So how do you stop it from happening, at least some of the time anyway? It starts with figuring out what thoughts are causing it. Well, actually, the first thing you really need to do is recognize that it's happening and want to intervene. The recognition part is pretty easy. Escalating anger, all of the physical feelings that come with it, getting distracted and missing things that people are saying because you're so wrapped up in your thoughts about how wrong the situation is. There are lots of tells and it's not hard to notice them. The wanting to intervene part might be trickier in the moment. I think one of the simplest and most effective ways to want to intervene is asking yourself, how would you want the other person to approach it if things were reversed? Let's say you did actually screw up. Is this how you'd want that feedback delivered? Probably not. And again, we're talking about the amygdala hijack. So by definition, the actual event or missing event is trivial in comparison to the reaction. We're not talking about serious medical errors or anything like that. So now that we've established that you don't want to let your amygdala run amok and you know how to recognize when it's happening, let's talk about how to change the thoughts that cause the hijack. It's a useful exercise to take a recent past experience of your own amygdala hijacking you and write down all of the things that you can think of that made you feel that way. Aim for at least 10, because the more you write, the better you can understand what story your brain was creating for you. It's also helpful to keep writing until you get to what seems like the worst case scenario, because that may be the driver of it all. If you do this for at least a few episodes of losing your cool for very little reason, you'll probably start to find some patterns. It can be really insightful to be able to put it together oh, this feels like a crisis to me because I think X is happening or will happen. 
with X being that worst case scenario. And then once you know what your thoughts are, we can work on changing them if you want. Here's one of my favorite things to ask yourself. Why would a reasonable, smart person have done or not done what that person just did or didn't do? I know I bring up this type of question in just about every type of coaching scenario, and it's because it's a really effective one. It gets you questioning your assumptions and allows the creative part of your brain to think of alternate possibilities. Some other basic thoughts can be things like, we all show up to work planning to do our best. So did this person. Maybe they don't know this one thing that I know. It's possible that I'm overreacting here. It's possible that I'm just having a bad day in general and letting that drive my reaction to everything. This is my chance to role model better behavior. That last one is like giving yourself a challenge. For some of us, especially those with a competitive streak, that challenge can be a really powerful tool. So instead of, I'm gonna stop myself from behaving badly, it's, I'm gonna stop myself from behaving badly and go out of my way to turn this into something good. I wanna make sure that you noticed that none of the substitution thoughts are trying to talk yourself out of ignoring a mistake or deciding that you must be wrong. It's all about being in control of your emotional response. Now it's possible you might decide that you were wrong and you also might not. Either way, you can drive the emotional response that you want. And on that thought, we'll wrap it up for today. Thanks for joining me and I will see you back next time. Any opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.